I don't know if you guys, you guys don't know this about me, but I f***ing love trees. Just, I just, I just love them. <laughs> I sit, I, I, we have an upstairs balcony and I sit uh-huh. on my upstairs balcony and I just stare at trees sometimes. That is a hundred percent true. I have no problem believing that entirely. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. Let's do this. We're talking about Tennessee. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Subjective narratives. <laughs> oh, we're just going right in? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, let's talk about the universe, the, our game against the, the venerable University of Tennessee. The mm-hmm. well, a, a university, I would point out, just as though that the ass whipping we just gave them wasn't enough. Click, click. As though that wasn't enough, a university that lists UGA as one of its aspirational uh, schools. Just saying. Hashtag. Um, like if you look at their their strategic plan, UGA is one of their aspirational schools. Anyway, that's adorable. So, how was what was your yeah? What was your subjective experience of watching this game, my dude? Uh, it was a pretty typical weekend. Uh, didn't go. I didn't do anything football related, which was honestly kind of nice, other than watching the game and um, got to go over to Heather and Ryan since that is you know where all the games have been won while I am there, and so now it's kind of become a superstition thing that I have to be sitting in that same chair and watching the game for Georgia to do well, obviously. Um, right. I also, just before we even get into things, I just need to vent for a second because this is a platform we've created so that I can vent about things. That is, yeah. uh, This is unrelated to football for a second. But my, my dog today, my wonderful and perfect dog, whom I love very much, who I spend too much time and money on, uh, while I was in the shower today, decided to eat my wedding ring. <laughs> and I don't even mean just eat my wedding ring, like the kind of eat that you can just sit and say... Hey, I wonder if it'll come out the other end. This is like she shredded my wedding ring <laughs> because it is a wooden wedding ring. Um, what? Oh, okay. I was about to ask what it was. Yeah, made it's, out it's of. made yeah, out so of wood, makes, but it's not just sense. like any wood. This was like uh, you know because we we really love stories and the like themes and whatnot. So at the wedding, one of the the big thematic pieces of our wedding was we wanted there to be stories and we wanted everything to have a story. And so my wedding ring was originally an old whiskey barrel and it was part of the uss north carolina and that uh ship now resides within the the depths of my dog for the next eight hours Uh, but that's not really something you just get back (laughs) yeah i just need to get that out there into the world just let that go so it's not in my heart any longer because as uh, an irishman myself we we like to do this thing where we take all of our feelings and we bundle them up into a small small tiny little box and we put them next to our heart and uh it's it stays there until we're dead and buried in the ground one day so uh, that's weird that's that's what i needed to do i prefer my germanic method to um just sort of like efficiency out everything and make (laughs) and make being a nazi illegal that's how i deal with my emotions (laughs) as i make i make fascism illegal (laughs) <laughs> we're just over polite is all our thing not very political uh but, but that uh, yeah, was no, we more are. or less my experience and also my experience today so i, I just need yeah. to get that part out of there but no uh, yeah, overall quite a good game it, it, at, at times it uh it got very close to being a very drunk time for me as it may have for many people uh as as the beginning of the game was was kind of questionable but overall it ended up being a pretty good time and uh yeah i enjoyed it what about you uh Let's see. So I was going to go to this game, but then they sent me the schedule and we were supposed to get back at like 2 or 3 a.m. And I had to go to work, so I didn't. So I watched it from my couch, which was awful. I don't know how anyone else does it. It sucks. Um, I'm very bad at it. Uh, So things got kind of tight. And then Samantha uh, decided that the only thing she could do is, you know, um, go about the house and anxiety clean basically for the rest of the time. So mm-hmm. she spent three hours or two and a half hours of the game anxiety cleaning starting like in the middle of the first quarter. And then finally, um, as we scored, like the, f- as we kind of started to, to pull away in the second quarter, she had gone upstairs to fold clothes. So she just started another load of clothes and then folded those clothes too, because like that's what was working. And I just kind of um, transcribed the game to her as it happened while she folded clothes <laughs> upstairs uh, and so, yeah, my wife's a fucking hero, y'all. So that's why. That's why we won because she, she was she fought the good fight for all of us. She's a good one. Did you? Yeah, she is. While on your couch uh, on Saturday, did you watch any of the Auburn and Florida game? Yeah, I did. How do you feel about it? Um, you know, I think I think both of them have good defenses. I'm not really convinced that either of them have good offenses. I'm I I just don't know that. 
I, I don't know that you know Florida's quarterback Trask. He looks all right. Uh, I don't think he can run really a lot of what Dan Mullen wants him to run because he can't run. And then he like Dan Mullen. This like goober looking motherfucker has the temerity to complain about a late hit that was caused by his offensive lineman rolling somebody into him into his quarterback and then this piece of shit runs him up the middle like he's tim tebow four times after he comes back from a meniscus strain what a idiot jesus christ it's not anyway i i'm not i mean i think they're both very good teams and i think they both I, i'm less worried about auburn now because mm-hmm. i'm starting to suspect that bo Nix is just a freshman yeah. Which I guess, you know, we should have known that which the whole is time. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think both of them have excellent defenses that could win them a game against us. I don't know that either of them have a consistent enough offense to win a game consistently against us. I still, I feel, I feel much better about Auburn. I feel slightly worse about Florida. I think Florida's defense is real. I think they've got pretty good talent. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there was just not a lot of consistency out of that offense. And mm-hmm. yeah, they had the one eighty-eight yard run. But if that gets wrapped up, like there's a pretty good chance they lose the game. Right. And if yeah. they like if one team just stops hemorrhaging turnovers, there's a pretty good chance that they win. And I just I feel like that the Georgia's skill talent is such that like I'm not saying we won't have turnovers against Auburn and Florida. It's just less like it's less likely that we just like out seven of them. Yeah, eight turnovers overall on the day. Uh four from each team absolutely wild like there were some play some some drives that were like back to back to back i think there was a a period there where there were two floridas and then there was a punt and then another uh maybe an interception on auburn but looking over these i I just want to real quick review these stats real quick because i'm really excited what this game told us even more so than the tennessee game but i'm just going to read you some some quick numbers real quick you ready yeah plays per drive auburn 3.8 florida 4.2 auburn's yards per play 4.41 to florida's 5.53 Yards per drive, 16.8 for Auburn, 23.4 for Florida. Um, and then some other really interesting and fun stats are the success rates for both per quarter. So Auburn's 20% in the first quarter, 8% in the uh, second quarter, and then up to 38 and 44 when they finally got their mess together, but still ended up losing the game. Um, Florida's 18%, 33%, 20%, and 44% by quarter. Holy cow. Yeah, like, uh, these... I mean, look, they're good defenses, but they're still pretty bad. Yeah. I, I, and I, I don't know, man. There's, it's just there's nothing. That, that if your offense, it, your offense should not be that dysfunctional, no matter how good the opposing defense is. Mm-hmm. And at times it definitely felt like it was definitely just freshman situations. Like Bo Nix looked like a freshman all day. And I think that they, you know, the the stadium was definitely a factor, much like the, the Georgia Notre Dame game. But overall, that shouldn't be the outcome of the game if that's the only factor like there are other factors at play obviously but like you said i'm feeling a little bit better about that game and and i'm excited to talk about them when the time comes yeah me too all right so let's talk about the ut game um i thought you know big takeaways before we get into the the stats uh i think that the the feeling i guess for me was that this was a defense that was not prepared to face a different kind of quarterback than they had prepared to play and that once we rotated into a different kind of defense and tried to get uh, pressure into this kid's face, that he kind of broke down. And um, I think that Maurer actually looked pretty good at times. And I think that, you know, um, human sack of potatoes. Oh, you know what? I said I wasn't going to body shame him. So, yeah, click that. I think all around dumb piece of shit, Jim Cheney did a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good job game planning against us. I actually don't hate him. I think he's I, he's a really nice guy when I met him. Um, I think he did a really good job game planning against our tendencies and he knew how to take advantage of our safeties and the fact that, you know, sometimes Richard LeCount just decides not to tackle. I thought that it was pretty clear they ran out of gas once they got off their script. I mean, I, 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 it felt to me like they had two to three drives worth of script that they felt pretty good at. And once we adjusted, I don't think they had really a counter. Now, on the one hand, it, it frustrates me because, you know, just from an aesthetic standpoint, that defense looked pretty bad and we got split up pretty bad by some good offensive, uh, some good skill talent that Tennessee does have to their credit. Uh, and, you know, certainly Alabama and probably even Auburn are going to have skill talent as good, if not better than that. However, it's hard to be that upset when you look at it in the numbers, right? Before we transition to the stats, like what was your feel watching this game? In the very beginning of the game, it definitely looked like we were having just generally a hard time getting things started. And it didn't look like the, you know, the usual narrative is that Georgia just starts out slow and conservatively 
uh, at the beginning of games. And it didn't seem like that was the case. It just looked like Tennessee prepared really, really well. Um, yeah. And then it was, it also kind of felt like, you know, it's kind of becoming a, a, a funny trope now that Georgia can't play against the backup quarterback, but that's kind of football. I feel like that you don't prepare for the backup quarterback, especially when <laughs> there's no chance of them being on the field until the day well, before the game. I mean, we probably, you know, we probably did have a plan for him, but it's, it's hard to know when you have no tape on anybody. And yeah. That's just kind of football. And, and I, to me, honestly, the thing is that you know, Maurer looked good, but he was a totally different kind of quarterback than Guer- uh, Garantano. Mm-hmm. I think we were we had this plan against Garantano that what we were going to do is we were just going to drop in the zone and then like uh, basically spy him to death. But yeah. when you have Maurer up there, who's not going to run because he's just this big gangly white guy, um, he, <laughs> the spy doesn't really matter. And a lot of times, like our safeties got abused a couple of times, but I think also there were a couple of times where the inside linebackers where like you had an inside linebacker that normally would be dropping into like a midfield zone but instead was spying the quarterback when he didn't need to and then the safety got abused on top of him so i you know i i mean ultimately yeah it's disturbing but at the same time it's like that's kind of just you know if you're a really good team and you have a bad quarter and then you just blow that team out like there's it's really hard for me to feel that bad about it i mean and if we look at the actual step the actual stats it's, it doesn't even really support that we have that we had that bad of a quarter right mm-hmm. in quarter one georgia had a 61 percent success rate and tennessee had 47 which is by far their, their by far their highest on the day 47 by the way is only like i don't know two points above average so they just had sort of an average successful quarter and we didn't convert drives into touchdowns now i mean i, I think i have a whole nother rant to have about our offense and how you know some of the play calls we're making but at the end of the day there is some concern because i think we you know we get we now have film that is a blueprint for how teams can beat us but at the Mm -hmm. same time i think that that our defense is only going to get better as people get healthy and as our young players get more experience and because a lot of the high-end talent on this defense is concentrated in the freshman class freshman and sophomore class this is a defense that i expect to get better so i'm not I'm not super concerned about the defense in the sense that I think that there will be a natural progression. And as long as we continue to get better in the way that we have been, we should be good by the time we hit the meat of the schedule in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Now, having said that, you know, success rate per quarter, Georgia or Tennessee, 47 in the first, 38 in the second, 27 in the third, that old uh, UGA cord, uh, third quarter bump, and then 40% in the fourth. UGA similarly, 61, 58, 50, and then 75 in, in the fourth quarter. So, you know that doesn't really give show you a game that UJ was really in any was in any danger of losing. Even when we were losing, I did not personally feel like we were in any danger of losing. And yeah, mm-hmm. certainly there's all this like, well, if Rodrigo misses that ex, uh, that long field goal, or if Jake Fromm is less centered, and that's true. But like, then we would have a different team if we didn't have Rodrigo and Jake Fromm on the team. This would be a much different team, right? And so it's kind of silly to be like, well, if these things that didn't happen happened, then it would have been a different game. That's certainly true, and I guess you know it's it's illustrative of the the fact that we were a player two away from being in trouble. But I never really felt like that the players that we needed to rely on. I never felt like that we couldn't rely on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is, is there anything else like just overall from the stats that you see that kind of stand out to you? I was thoroughly impressed by Eric Stokes. Yeah, Eric Stokes' his line just oh chef's kiss. Yeah. Like as Bill Connolly said, I think. As Bill Connolly said, I think uh, the the havoc machine, Eric Stokes, the one man havoc machine. Yeah, he's yeah. got two and a half tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, three passes deflected, a forced fumble, and good for five havoc plays. Like, holy cow! Like that's some uh, so back in like Roquan Smith numbers. Like Roquan Smith had, I think, one of the games like eight and a half, eight havoc plays, and he was pretty regularly up in the like three to five range i would say but five is is pretty solid uh for eric stokes especially coming off the injury so pretty excited about that um and on top of that i guess you know jake Fromm had an incredible day 24 for 29 288 yards you know nothing flashy again but just a completely an incredibly efficient day and he mixed up in standard and passing downs he he, you know he passed it in, in early downs and um i think we mixed up really really well uh, personally what about what about you um yeah i mean again and the senators had a few posts about this too at the mm-hmm. end of the day ultimately you can't argue with results yeah and i i i have a couple of i have a couple of like 
nitpicky things that I think that sure. we're doing wrong tendency wise, but ultimately this is a this is a this is a team that's getting the job done on offense. Yeah. And I mean if if anything, my biggest critique of the offense is not in the raw numbers. I think, you know, this is an offense if you're getting 526 yards on 70 plays and you're, you know, you have uh, points per play differential the the size that we did, right? Like you're still being pretty explosive. We we don't have a lot of explosive scoring plays, but I thought I think we definitely have a very good offense on the whole. I I think that some tendency stuff that we have going is kind of dumb. Like in particular, if you try to conform, if you are really good at running the inside zone out of the out of the uh, the inside zone, the outside zone, and bash out of the shotgun, I don't know why you're getting into like two trips tight to run up the middle like ISO um, from under center when you're at fourth and one. It just doesn't really mm-hmm. make sense to me. Like a lot of our game, I think a lot of our offensive line game plan is that we just have individually better players than most other teams that we play. So if we spread them out and we give our offensive line players a, a little bit more time to work in place and to like pick their uh, double team spots, they can usually dominate. And I think that's part of why. And I also think we have running backs with really good vision. So that's why those two things combined make us very lethal running out of the shotgun. When you get under center, you give the defense more opportunities to to clog people into the middle of the uh, line. And it wasn't like Tennessee wasn't respecting Jake Fromm all night. They weren't, you know, um, I, I think Barton Simmons said this, like Jake Fromm in empty sets and five wide sets, he did not get blitzed once last night. So that's like, that's an insane amount of respect for his ability to recognize the hot route. So I don't know why you're not just spreading it out and running a normal run play if you insist on running or throwing out of the play action. Like, there's just little things where it's like, yeah, it doesn't probably matter in a game against Tennessee. It might not even matter in a game against Auburn. But if we're playing Ohio State or Oklahoma or Alabama or whatever, that level of team, Clemson, it's going to matter, right? And so that that's that's kind of just like the little weird trying to win on the margins Nick Saban bullshit that we're still doing that like Nick Saban doesn't even do anymore, right? Like, so that mm. that's what's biz- bizarre to me. So what are uh, some other big takeaways you want to take from this game going forward? I mean... Look, at the end of the day, broken record, but this is the most talented UGA team since, I don't know, ever, maybe, <laughs> right? And and this, you know, when you have a game like this where you things feel tight and you feel like, I mean, I felt like I tweeted out on this podcast account. I was like, well, this is what you have to do if you want to lose to a team that you shouldn't lose to, right? Dumb penalties, mm-hmm. um, not so much term- turnovers, but just kind of sloppy play, looking like you're not awake. And you have that situation and then you just destroy someone by 20-something points and cover the spread, it's kind of hard for me to say that this is anything other than what I thought it was before, which is an insanely talented team that has a lot of youth that's coming around. And, you know, the question is, does the weakness that we put on tape in the first quarter, is that something that we can grow out of as a defense, or is that something that's going to get, you know, exploited at a really important time? I don't know. I don't really think there's a statistical answer to that question. My tendency is to think that, generally speaking, college football is a, t- is a game where talent wins out. So probably it will not be as bad as that once, you know, I mean, like if we're seeing that the safeties are getting taken advantage of, Kirby Smart's seeing it too, right? So my tendency is to think that that might cause an issue for us later down the road, but I don't know if that's going to be like our great tragic flaw because this is just a team that has so much talent on the field and particular on defense has so much young talent on the field. You have to feel like that the ceiling is higher than it is now. Right. So Mm -hmm. if the offense were having problems, I'd be more concerned, but ultimately Georgia's run run offense on the year is still absolutely lethal. It's arguably the best running offense or rushing offense in the nation. If it's not the best, it's in the top five easily. The depth of running back. I mean, look, I'm kind of at the point where I think it's pretty obvious that there's there there are philosophical ways that I differ from Kirby Smart in terms of like the way I think the best way to play college football is. I mean, and I'm not getting paid anything to do this, and he's getting paid millions of dollars, so he's probably right, right? But at the end of the day, even if I don't like his philosophy, you can't deny that his philosophy is working, right? Mm-hmm. His philosophy is we have we have better talent than anyone we play, and anyone that has talent as good as us, they're not better than us. So if we just lean on them and we're deeper than them, eventually it'll work. And to this point this year, that's been true. And, you know, hell, it might be true in the SEC championship. Yeah, Alabama is not as good uh, defensively as they have been in the past. Right. But my concern is when the chips are on the table and we are trying to decide, is this going to be the team? Well, the team's trying to decide, is this going to be the team that breaks the 40 or something uh, national championship drought? You need to have your highest ce- ceiling possible at that point. 
right? And so that's still my concern. I think we're playing very low floor, very our lower ceiling football, right? Like we're we're probably not going to have many bad games because if you can run the ball, you're going to have a lot of good games. But at the same time, if we have to score, I don't know, 45 points against a really good defense, can we do it? I don't know. And so that that's kind of where I am uh, holistically. As mm-hmm. for, you know, individually on the game, I love this team. I think I, I, love, I love the sort of just like absolute chill swagger that Jake Fromm plays with. I love the mm-hmm. characters. I think there are so many good stories on this team. Narratively, like Lawrence Cager's emergence, Demetrius Robertson's sort of like redemption tour, George Pickens coming along. I, I mean, there's there's really no unit on the field that doesn't have a great story to it. And, and, and I'll admit, it is really fun to be a fan of a team where you're down four points to a team you shouldn't be losing to. And you're like, well, Jake's going to get the ball back. So we're fine. Because that's, I mean, I was nervous, but that's what I was feeling in the first quarter. I was like, well, yeah, but they still got to <laughs> stop us. They got to stop us for four quarters. They're like, yeah, you can do it once, but like, we're just going to lean on them. And we have Jake Fromm. And then Jake Fromm had, if not his best game ever, certainly his best game on the season, right? He might have had a couple of better games in the SEC Championship, National Championship kind of uh, in those games, but 24 for 25, 288 yards, 83% completion rate, no sacks, 9.93 yards per attempt. That is, that is, that is staggeringly good. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and yeah, you know, Jake Fromm is never going to be the guy that's throwing for six TDs or whatever. But if in terms of what he is asked to do, that is the best version of what he is asked to do. Yeah. You know, and, that, we, and, and yeah, that's exactly what he needs to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And so I that's that's my thing. It's like I think all of I think a lot of the hubbub about Justin Fields is kind of a kind of a silly to do because ultimately at the end of the day, Justin Fields was not good for what we wanted to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's a great he's a great quarterback. And he might have a higher seat he might have a high he might very well have a higher higher average, you know, higher ceiling than um then what's his face? Then Jake Fromm, but he is what's his face? Jake Fromm, my sweet you know. baby boy. How did I say what's his face? Anyway, he 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 very well may have a uh, a higher average than Jake Fromm, but ultimately he's not, he wasn't doing what we we're gonna, what we needed to do. So like just just by comparison, like there's been a lot of like concern about explosive plays, right? Like currently, um, our explosive play rate, our explosive play rate, like the number of times we're getting plays over 13 yards, is ninth in the nation. Right. Mm-hmm. Our explosive rate rush is seventh in the nation and our explosive rate pass, while not as good, is still 45th. And like if you can get a top 50 explosiveness rate out of a team that is unequivocally and like sort of unashamedly trying to do like checkdowns for life and not throw interceptions when you're passing, um, you're in good shape. Right. I mean, was yeah. there ever a concern to you? Was there ever a concern to you that Jake Fromm was not going to just casually score like three touchdowns? Oh, no. Like he does right. everything with such the the way you put it is like with such swagger. Like yeah. that is the definition of swagger to me, the way he does it. Yeah. I mean just 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 absolutely absolutely the I don't know. I mean just just like I have I had no concerns and he was so calm and it was so clear that the moment is never gonna be too big for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And and like I, this is generally speaking, our brand is that we eschew a lot of the like narrative bullshit. But it's not like I don't like narratives. I love narratives, right? And I think this is a narrative. Yeah, I think this is a narrative that's real. Jake Fromm is ridiculous, right? Eighty-six percent completion on on standard downs. That's Mm. stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were throwing on early downs, and we were he was just picking them apart. He had a throw to D Rob down the right hand side that it was like a six inch window, and he just dropped it into there. And they had another throw that was like off of a hot route. It was like. There was a corner blitz from the boundary side and he saw it and then he hit, uh, I think, Simmons for like an out route there in the second quarter. That's the exact same play that Maurer didn't make that ended up in the in the uh, the sack strip fumble for a touchdown. Right. And like that's what Jake Fromm does to you. He turns what would have been a touchdown for the other team into a five yard game. So I don't know. I, I, I couldn't be more pleased with where we are in that sense. And I think that. This is a game where, yeah, you can get frustrated for things, but at the end of the day, you beat it. You bet it, you you won your fifteenth straight SEC East game. You beat a historic rival by twenty nine points, and I mean, it, it, this matters to Kirby. Kirby is of the generation who where Tennessee was their biggest rival, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard for me to really complain. I thought that, and you know, t- to be honest though, I thought that despite my 
sort of quibbles with the fourth down and one call. There were a lot of fun calls in this game that I thought worked really well. Uh, D-Rob had a uh, screenplay that I thought was wonderfully executed by the offensive line, uh, and we ran it on early down. I really loved some of the, like, well, I mean, I really loved the wheel route, although that was unplanned. Um, I really love even the you, the cager call. The back shoulder throws to cager in the end zone seemed to be just like. So cool. Sort of just like, A, something that Jake Fromm is elite at, and B, something that we have decided that, hey, if you don't have top-level secondary talent, like top, top, top-level secondary talent, we're just going to score a touchdown on this most of the time. And I like like that is a philosophy I do like where it's like, Hey, we're just going to do this thing in this situation until it gets stopped. And the only thing that could stop that back shooter throw on Saturday was Lawrence Cager pushing off of somebody, mm-hmm. which he probably catches that ball if he doesn't push off anyway. So I don't know. I, it, I just have a hard time. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to be negative about this, but I really can't. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good game. It was a Rocky start, you know, in the Rocky top. Ha But, uh, other than uh, that, la, it, it, was, la, la, la. <laughs> it was a good game. I mean, yeah, the stats show that if you didn't watch the beginning, if you were just looking at this game from this advanced box score that we're looking at, then you would say, yeah, that was a dominant performance. Yeah. Hey, and you know, the cool thing is uh, we were worried about Komet coming in in the, in the Notre Dame game and kind of tearing us up with the with the tight end. And it's clear that that got addressed because Dominic Wood Anderson, who is as good a tight end prospect of Komet, if a little bit smaller, went uh, two catches for 30 yards, right? 40 percent mm-hmm. success rate. And yeah, you know, we got kind of burnt by Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway, right? 73% or 67% success rate for Juwan Jennings, 114 yards, nine targets on seven catches. Yeah, you're going to give that up to an ace receiver, even when you have a really good running back and a really good backfield or defensive backfield. But, you know, none of those, I don't, only one of those I think came against Eric Stokes, who's turning into like, as you said, just a machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately, you know, we gave that up. But even Marquez Callaway, he had three catches for 105 yards, but he only had 33% success rate. Right, he had like Ugh. one giant catch on the touchdown, and then he didn't really do anything else the rest of the night. Oh, another interesting note I saw was that uh, Zamir White had five point five six yards per carry after contact, <laughs> which is pretty awesome, right? <laughs> and he looked great. Yeah, he did. I, I he mean, I, I, I think that often. we, I think we legitimately go. I think we feel that we now go three deep in the backfield. Mm. I don't know what the deal with James Cook is. I don't know why he's not getting more touches. If any, one of my only other quibbles is that as much as I love Tyler Simmons, we got to stop running uh, jet sweeps to him. If you want to run that play, that's fine. Just run it to James Cook. Like, it's not that hard. James Cook is a faster, shiftier version of Tyler Simmons. And I know Tyler Mm -hmm. Simmons can block the hell out of the ball, but like, it's so clear there's a big talent difference between him and somebody like Lawrence Cager or george pickens i mean there's a size difference too and i know all the things he does leadership wise and i know he's a great blocker i know he's a great person but at the end of the day it's like that is that's something that kind of that's kind of something that i i think i hope that the playing time changes there a little bit and it has changed in the inside linebacking core another place where i was talking about this like it seems like tay crowder is now kind of established as the senior leader back there but you've we've seen a lot more nicobe dean right lately which i think mm-hmm. is cool so last thing before we went go into the the final stats, if you're ready, I wanted to read down our S&P Plus rankings real quick and see, because we're, we're moving around. Things are moving around and some 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 crazy folks are, are sneaking in uh, to the top 10 now. So top four are still Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and LSU, which is surprising everybody currently. They have a top three defense and 28th ranked, uh, or excuse me, third ranked offense, 28th ranked defense right now. Georgia's sitting at five with a six-ranked offense and 17th-ranked defense, so still going down somehow. Um, and then we have Wisconsin, Penn State, then Clemson, which is just they're kind of just going lower and lower. And then Florida and Missouri, which is uh, the the only uh, one-loss team in the top 10 currently. But their defense is doing really, really well. And so is there anything in there that you're uh, wary of, concerned about, thinks totally weird and wrong? What are you thinking? I mean, I think they're like five or six really good teams, right? Georgia, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, um, Ohio State. I think yeah. Ohio State might be the best team in the nation, at least the most well-rounded. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it, I At this point, the rankings don't really matter, right? Yeah. One of the advantages of college football playoff is it's like whatever. <laughs> it's very true. But it's 
it's definitely weird. We got Missouri. Uh, Missouri might be a game that we were kind of worried about or not worried about going forward, but it could be a concern later on. But I guess we'll have to see kind of how they. Yeah, it depends on how healthy Kelly Bryan is, and also they yeah. lost their they've lost their best defensive player for the season. Yeah. So it's things will we'll see when it, when we get there. But uh, prediction reviews so over unders. We had uh, originally we had Garantano having four sacks in the game, but got switched out last second, so we just moved those sacks over to the. The quarterback, current quarterback, um, you said under four sacks. I said push. Turned out to be three, so that's yours. Uh, Tennessee rushing yards. <laughs> this is a stupid one because ah, without, no, it's not. It's without the sack yards, I'm correct. With the sack yards, um, it's at 99 yards. And so the, the over-under was Tennessee rushing yards, 99 and a half. I said over. You said under, so that's yours. Um, and then Uncle Rico snaps. Eight Uncle Rico snaps, what we went for. It looked like... You know, we, we just kept everybody in, and that's fine. Uh, I said the under, that's mine. The last over-under was 45 UGA points, which we missed by two. We both said over, unfortunately. So, uh, Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like we have a slightly better slightly better first quarter, and then we hit that pretty easily, right? Yeah, not too bad. And, and you mean by the numbers still, just because we didn't score necessarily doesn't... We, we did all right. We had plenty of success. We just didn't see the end zone necessarily as, as much as we would have wanted to. Um predictions there was a 24 and a half point spread 52 and a half point over under uh which both were met by the end of it georgia scored 43 to tennessee's 14 is that right am i making that up that's right yeah um yours was 48 17 mine was 49 13 that is a eight point differential for you and a six i think for you yeah that feels good not seven and yep that's right cool so I'll take that one, and that's okay. So a pretty even day between the two of us. Yeah. But I really need to be winning these because pretty I'm like four uh, predictions away from being even with you. But we'll get there. We'll see if you get there. But I, mean, <laughs> I guess that is an <laughs> option in, in one of the many universes that we all of the versions of us exist in. That is one of the options. That, that um, I get there. Let's get, to our fa- let's get to our favorite section of the day, Ask CBC. Yeah, Nathan has to go to practice. Yeah, if you want to see yourself on the show, just make sure you hashtag AskCBC. Send us a Facebook uh, message or tag us on Twitter or send us a good old email, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But the first one comes in from Ben Shepard. Ben asks, can we identify a trend now with Kirby Smart defenses struggling with QB substitutions? I'm assuming the game plan for Garantano, or is that just football? I, I think it's kind of both. I mean, it's not just substitutions that we've been killed by. We've been killed twice by substitutions for players that hardly played. Mm-hmm. so i mean especially mauer it's like what are you gonna do like you got yeah you're gonna look at his high school tape like <laughs> but really i mean the the team plans for the scheme you know tennessee's offensive yeah. scheme and certain players they'll tend towards it, one side of the scheme or not you know? yeah i mean that's the problem too is that the scheme under garantano was clearly different than the scheme under mauer yeah uh alan ivaroni has a couple questions for us which SEC head coach deserves to be impeached, and what are their impeachable offenses? <laughs> so I was thinking about this, and I was gonna say I was gonna say uh, Derek Mason, but Derek uh-huh. Mason is just gonna lose the election. Mm-hmm. So like it does, he doesn't need to be impeached. Like I'm, I'm not sure how long he's gonna be there for going mm-hmm. forward. Um, but I don't know, man. Um, Hard to say. What is the? Why is Missouri out of bowl contention this year? What did they do wrong? Uh, they had a they had like some kind of academic scandal, like a rogue tutor, I think. They all run together. It's hard <laughs> to say. A rogue tutor. Yeah. No, I think they literally did have a rogue tutor, which is like wow. way more badass than it sounds. Like they were just yeah. doing the work for him. It's not badass at all. It sucks. No, it's not. It's <laughs> academic integrity and whatnot. Uh, SEC yeah. head coach deserves to be a peach. I mean. I mean, let's just be honest. Like my, my actual answer is that Jeremy Pruitt because he yeah. seems like just sort of a piece of <laughs> But that's just me. That's kind of how I feel about it too. And maybe uh, Muschamp. Just the problem is Dan, Dan Mullen's Dan Mullen's like a a horrible human, but seems to be pretty good at his job. Yeah, Dan Mullen's all right. I <laughs> yeah, I think Will Muschamp has not done anything that he needed to do with the South Carolina team. Uh, yeah. at this point, so that would be my appeal offense. Um, yeah, there's probably someone in there that's actually really terrible, but we don't know. But who knows? Um, next one is please explain Missouri. Oh, here we go. They are in the top 10 of SP plus with a very similar profile to Florida. And they're not bowl eligible, but why is no one talking about them? And could they give Georgia a tough game? Well, they lost to Wyoming. And if Kelly Bryant is helpful, healthy, maybe I think they'll, I think they'll like, they'll score some points, but I don't know how to feel about their defense. They had a really good defensive lineman who was really good. Having a really good year. Who's out for the game or out for the year. Um, so I, 
I think they'll give us a good game just because I think they can score points because I think Kelly Bryant's good. But mm-hmm. I also just wonder about I, I don't know how consistent they can be through injuries. I also don't know by the time that we play them, like what are they going to be playing for? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I this is no no slight to Barry Odom, but it when you when you can't go to a bowl game and you've lost to Wyoming and that I mean you probably shouldn't have lost to Wyoming, but you did, you know, if they take one more loss, we might see a much different team uh, a much different team. Yeah, by the time they they're, get to us. they're placing as high in SP plus right now because of their defense. And with that defensive lineman out not making moves, then they're they're gonna be affected by it. And I think Georgia does really well against teams that have uh you know, a Kelly Bryant or a Justin Fields, for instance. Like when you have less options and you're a bit more predictable, I think Georgia does really well in guarding against that. Um Erk mm-hmm. Russell. How could oh, the by twin- the way, this guy oh. this was uh the guy who was injured was Kale Garrett, who was injured. The Kale defensive lineman. Yeah, he'd, right. he'd been having a really good game. A really good year, rather. Erk Russell asks, how could the twin paradox known from Einstein's special theory of relativity apply to national perception versus local perception of this UGA football team? So the twin paradox is the idea that, like, if you have, basically, like, if you have two identical twins, one of whom makes a journey uh, at, like, near relativistic speeds, and then Rahone's home and sees that his other twin has aged more than him, right? It doesn't make sense because they see the other two as moving. It basically has to do with the fact that, like, when two things travel at, at when you have something traveling at near relativistic speed and something traveling through the immerse at like normal speed, that time dilation kicks in and things start to look weird. Um, so, like, and just how like perceptions from either side of that relativistic speed gap are like radically change the way that we perceive the nature of things um so yeah i mean i guess that that is that is kind of true like the the speed of the coverage cycle nationally is way higher and i think you know i don't i don't think really any uh journalist like hates one program or whatever i think that they journalists just oftentimes what they they go with their first draft of any of any narrative which so like if it's really easy to glom on to the fact that like UGA is a super talented program that has consistently underperformed and is like stake bitten and easy to make fun of, then that's what they're gonna do. You know what I mean? Just because that's mm-hmm. the easiest thing, because the speed of the cycle at their level is so much faster than the speed of like the beat writer cycle. Right. Yeah. There's just a there's a, a very different level of granularity involved with being a beat writer and with being a national sports journalist. So that that I think that's actually a pretty apt metaphor, honestly. Joel, do you have a favorite play or down from the game? Yeah, man, that like freaking he called it backyard football, right? The mm-hmm. the back the backyard football play where uh Swift was on the wheel route and just sort of was like, hey, I'm open, throw it out here. And he caught it. God, that was so good. <laughs> Swift had an incredible game. Lots of passing yards. Yeah, um, he also had a hundred percent catch rate. What a what oof, a weapon. Anyway. What a weapon. What a guy. Stage Manager for Life, Abby Key, asks, what is more concerning, the amount of penalties UGA had during the UT game, the conservative game plan UGA plays coming into games where the first half of the game seems like a slow start or the pass defense? So amount of penalties, slow conservative starts, or pass defense? Conservative starts. You can fix pass defense, I think, with the talent that we have, and you can fix conservative, or you can fix penalties. Yeah. I, I, You can fix conservative starts. I'm just not sure that there's any desire to. Yeah. This is a fun one that came in real late after the game that I'm hoping yeah. was uh, like a drunk text, like what you do and you up. This comes from Like Bank. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I would be a live oak. I love live oaks. Live oak? What's the difference yeah. between a live oak and a regular oak? Live oaks are like those big, wide, um, like widespread. They're like a, uh, indigenous to the South tree. And they're called, and they're like iconic in the South. Like the, There's a very famous one in... Um, savannah and also very famously like the uss in the, or the uss constitution like old ironsides was made of live oak because they mm-hmm. live a really really long time like hundreds and hundreds of years and i i find them to be incredibly i find oak trees in general to be incredibly soothing we have a little we have a little <laughs> i would say probably only t- five or ten year old oak tree in our front yard um and i love it i love like laying under it i like to lay at the bowl of a tree with my head and look straight up the tree i don't know if you guys you guys don't know this about me but i love trees just i just i just love them (laughs) i sit i I, we have an upstairs balcony and i sit Uh on my upstairs balcony and i just stare at trees sometimes that is a hundred percent true i have no problem believing that entirely 
I would like to be a magnolia tree because I have a lot of really nice nostalgic memories of magnolia trees, climbing them. Oh, yeah. I and love the trees, trees. Like, you know, the branches are so low that you can get up in there and really yeah. climb live around and do stuff. Live oaks are like that, too. That's what I like. That's why I like mm-hmm. live oaks is because like they're, they're down low to the ground. And they smell also so re- good. I, I also really like elms. Oh, yeah. If you've ever been uh, or if like so in the south, it's definitely a live, live oak. How, why the f- am I talking about this so much? <laughs> in the south, it's definitely a live oak. But in the north, I really love like the the like sort of stereotypical robert frost um birch tree like mm-hmm. if you've ever read birches if mm-hmm. you ever go to the north and like there's been a snowstorm and the birches with the clacking and the cracking like the like the the bowl of heaven had been broken or whatever <laughs> anyway um not that this feels like <laughs> this feels like a, a new show that you just created like and now we're going to be talking about live oaks uh, what are your thoughts on live oaks nathan like it's a show you have to whisper oh they asked the tree question at each other i had it oh i had it i had it muted so i didn't even hear that <laughs> i don't even listen to the announcers oh yeah i did not ask that either i like it uh next question comes from sambo two questions first one is was the secondary that bad by the numbers no i mean it was fine it was fine i, I mean richard LeCount had a bad day which has been kind of happening lately but i mean the most concerning thing to me was that mark webb did not look great I don't think I think that's just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that means that Mark Lev, what Mark Webb himself is bad or so, you know that there's anything to be worried about. I just think he had a bad day. Uh, next question is favorite film ever. <laughs> and he says mine is Planes, Trains and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy. Oh man. Are you, I mean are you ready cuz like yeah, go, they're, yeah, they're I'm real. always ready. Okay, so I have I really like movies, so I have like a lot of different favorite films. My favorite, like I enjoy watching this movie at any time. I have like two or three in that category. I mean, obviously, The Hunt for October, the first, the second director's cut of Blade Runner. Um, those are kind of like my traditional answers. If you want something weird, I really, really love uh, La Jetée, which mm-hmm. is a French. Um, it is a French science fiction black and white film. Um, and it's a, like, it's a gauche, like a left bank science fiction film. And it's a short film. It's, 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 a, it's about like a post-apocalyptic world and it's a lot of images and like pastiche and it's beautiful. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And, it, and it's a, it's a wonderful experiment in the way humanity can be portrayed using different mediums and art. And in sense, in that sense, I think is like a metatextual critique, critique of the way we use science fiction at its best to sort of uh explore how humanity interacts with new technology so it is it is a critique and meta critique simultaneously i love it i also really like barry linden um barry linden is a uh kubrick movie uh, that is just it's just about this guy who's like kind of a con man and he's from ireland and then he you know he is in the service and he gets married and he's kind of like just a cheat but it's it's kind of famous for Kubrick made it with total natural lighting, no no uh, modern lighting at all, only lighting that was like set in the time period, right? It's set in the I think early 1700s, um, and he's like uh, he at various times like is a spy and a soldier and a highwayman, and he's kind of a piece of. Shit. But it's it's a great movie. It's gorgeous and like very famously, like Stanley Kubrick said that uh, every, every he wanted every frame in it to be a painting. So you can like mm-hmm. go in and take still frames of Barry Lyndon, and they're just all so gorgeous and beautiful. And it's like a really beautiful exploration of like what the what art can be, like what what how filmic language can make art. And I love that um, for foreign films, like uh, <laughs> what? Don't ask this question to me. <laughs> You have such a detailed answer. Yeah, yeah, I do. So I actually think that the TV series um, Cowboy Bebop is like one of the greatest films ever made. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch it as like a very long sort of like interstitial um, pastiche film, right? With all these like weird, that has all these weird like musical interludes and uh, that's beautiful. But even like the naming conventions of the, uh, of each episode is like our works of art themselves. Like they all refer to specific famous jazz pieces that are resonant with the themes of the episode. Um, I think that it's, I, I genuinely think that Cowie Bebop is like one of the better works of art ever made by a human. Um, and I think that it is like criminally underrated both by the anime community who I think kind of sees it as like impure Western anime and by the traditional community, uh, the traditional film community, which for the past 50 years has been very racist. So yeah, there's my answer. Dang. Well, my favorites would be much simpler and 
much lower brow. <laughs> hey, I'm, the Hufford October is not high brow. You're right. I'm messing with you. My favorite movies. I, I really enjoy. I, I really enjoy TV shows a lot more than movies. But oh, Star uh, Wars and Star Wars. I forgot Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, that, that's Wars. a given. Yeah. The obviously, Empire Star Wars. Back. Very yeah. obsessed ah. with Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Both of us. Uh, Lord of the Rings and all those things. But we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get into the real nitty gritty. Like, if you ask somebody, yeah, yeah. what was your if favorite? You, if you didn't, yeah. I, I, we we run an advanced stats podcast. We like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don't one worry of my favorite about movies, that. though. Growing up was uh, Clue. Uh, one of my biggest and oh, first I crushes was Tim so Curry. Good. Uh, if you oh. haven't seen Clue, um, it's incredible. It's absolutely yeah. hilarious. And it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of those older movies are kind of why dad humor exists in a way. Like it's almost slapstick, but it's still got some, oh, I get it. There's layers to this joke. But the Clue movie is hilarious. Um, yeah. Less than that is, in it. it's ridiculous. It is, uh, and Tim Curry, Tim Curry's uh, fantastic. Um, Nacho Libre. <laughs> I think it's a horribly underrated. That's film. a good answer. <laughs> I love Nacho Libre. We watch it every year for Christmas. It's absolutely hilarious, and it's probably one of the films I quote the most, other than Step Brothers, which I will not mention as one of my favorite films, despite it being one of my favorite films. Um, but Over the Garden Wall is also a children's tv series that has elijah wood and uh, a few other folks um what's his and, name? Is, Doc- and is also legitimately a work of art it's a beautiful piece of film yeah it, um, it is amazing yeah it's a it's a series it's a tv series with really short episodes that if you piece them all together is about the length of a film and it's what we're going to watch for my birthday in a couple weeks um i'm making yeah, all my friends i'm watch really it. excited <laughs> uh but it's absolutely fantastic it is the one thing i have to watch every fall and it follows two kids that um, I won't give. I, if I say anything about it, I'll actually give something away. But I, they get I would lost say in the it's woods. like it's like magical realist, surrealist Mark Twain, but also maybe like a little Southern. There's like a little Eudora Wheatley, like uh, Shane, oh, yes. Flannery O'Connor in it. I almost said Sinead O'Connor. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tired. That's okay. Yeah. So those are our answers. Oh, God. Nobody asked what my favorite science fiction book is because then we'll just have a whole separate episode. <laughs> it's its own thing. Uh, yeah. Do you have time for James Bearfield? yeah hit, we got to go fast but yeah i got it all right so our very last segment is the dr james bearfield troll corner it's presented by cheer wine the wine that gives you diabetes tm 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 first question from james what comic book battle would you equate to the ut game and why mm, yeah i thought about this one a little bit i actually think that this game was all was very much like a this is like a classic superman battle mm-hmm. because it's like it's kind of like faking that there's a real threat to superman but there's mm-hmm. not that's a, yeah. I was gonna say like a, a typical comic book battle where new any Dragon Ball Z episode and series yeah. like arcing like when Cell comes and Cell's like I'm the new big bad. Everyone's like no, I can beat you. And then the beginning is Cell winning and then them figuring out how to beat him and that's it. So it's it's yeah. the typical comic book battle trope. Uh, was Jennings really good or are or were our inside linebackers not, not, just not that good? But I mean, no, he's really good. I mean, yeah. We probably should have done earlier adjustments to try to get him off of uh, linebackers, but yeah, he's really good. Uh, next question: How do you think the new California law will affect an NCAA? Will we see a ripple effect? Yes, I definitely I, think I mean, will I, eventually. Yeah. I, ju- I I think that the, this might be the end of the NCAA if they don't uh, hear it well. Yeah, that's going to be if real they weird if they don't handle it well. Rather, yeah, the schools will be fine, but I think the 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 nonprofit known as the National College Athletic Association is going to go away. The fact that it's nonprofit is beyond me. Uh, inspired by Sam, no, I'm sorry. How would you equate Fermi's paradox to the to this UGA team? Oh man, this is what I know. Fermi's paradox is the idea that there are so many planet there there are so many stars out there that there must be a statistically significant number of planets that are capable of supporting life. And if you take that as a given, which you kind of have to given the number of observable stars just that we could see at the time that Fermi coined the paradox, uh, there is no reason that humanity has not encountered life. Right. And there's mm-hmm. like eight or nine different reasons that you can think about this. Like one is that most life is vestigial or at a very low level of advancement and has not developed interstellar communication technology, even to the point of radio waves. Another is that the there's about like 35 different answers to this question, um, to the Fermi question. I do think that my Fermi paradox thing with UGA is that uh, similar to how for some staggeringly unknown reason you um that earth has not encountered extraterrestrial life also uga for some equally staggeringly unknown reason has yet to has not won a national championship since 1980 <laughs> so yeah there it is 
And the last one is inspired by Sam's question. He says, what SEC team would you say your co-host is and why? Neither of you can be UGA. Uh, Justin is Missouri because Missouri is just a bunch of nice boys. And Justin's a nice boy. <laughs> just a bunch of nice boys. <laughs> Have you ever met a Missouri fan? They're so polite. No. They're so really? nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about oh, yeah. them. They're like, they're just so sweet. And I don't know. I really like, I like Columbia and I like you and I like, I kind of like their helmets. Oh, okay. That's pretty nice. Um, I think Nathan is, I'd like to say either Texas A&M or Vanderbilt. And I have one reason for each Texas A&M because it's the, the, the biggest and most diverse, uh, one of the biggest and most diverse SEC schools and one of the biggest colleges in the nation. So there's just a lot of just stuff in it and a seemingly endless uh, fount of knowledge coming out of it, I feel, because it's so big. It's kind of like the, the the law of large numbers, uh, law of large means. Like it's got to be there because there's so many of it. Or Vanderbilt because it, it's kind of highbrow, but you know when you get right down to it, it's still in the South. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty huge. No, those are good answers. I liked it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that's the show. Yeah. We did it. Right before you have to leave, run out the yep, door. I got to go. So get us out of here. I will. I'll see you later. <laughs> well, no. Like, you got to. Like, oh, you want to do it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were about to, like, bye bye bye. Okay. Yeah. No, this no, has no. been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard, feel free to leave us a review on anywhere that you listen to this show because those reviews do help us. If uh, you need to get in touch with us or you want to ask an Ask CBC, then you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag Ask CBC or chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We also have a merch store, which you can find by going to chapelbellcurve.com or just follow the link in the show notes below. We have all sorts of merch like logo shirts and funny uh, coach shirts that are really, really great and we worked really hard on. So I'd really like you to go at least go check it out. Favorite the store. Share it with a friend you think might enjoy the absurdity. Uh, what else? Oh, go check out Nathan at Dog Sports. Thanks for Dog Sports for hosting the show all the time. Nathan writes articles for Dog Sports now, and they are kind of an addendum to these shows that you can find there uh, when he finds the time in his very busy schedule to put them together. So go check them out. And yeah. until, I guess, this Saturday when you catch us both in the Classic City for the, the Gamecocks, we'll see you then. I always mess up the outro part, that one little part. We'll catch you in but the until, Classic City next week. <laughs> and until then... Go, Go dogs. dogs. <laughs> You're so bad at this. I don't know why I do the last part very wrong. I always want to mix it up. <laughs>